Well, we made it. Romans chapter 16, our final study. If you'd turn there, we'll tackle these final four verses and a study that I've entitled The Glory of the Gospel. You know, when you think about the totality of Scripture, really there's a central message that begins in Genesis chapter 1, continues all the way through the end of the book of Revelation, and that is the Redeemer. Uh, It's often referred to as the scarlet thread. Uh, It's very often called uh, the glorious gospel. It it is called by a number of names, but really uh, the simplest way to understand it is the gospel. The message of the Bible is the message of the gospel. And apart from the truth of the gospel, the Bible itself would actually have very little meaning in our life beyond any philosophical work. Because it is the saving gospel of Jesus Christ that makes God's Word alive. Because it is this gospel that is being preached in the Bible that ultimately leads us to the saving faith that we have in Jesus Christ and allows us to be right with God, to have our sins forgiven, and thereby have a right relationship with the God that created all of the universe in Genesis chapter 1. And so that message is this glorious gospel that Paul is now going to uh, give a doxology of. Doxology is nothing more than a song of praise. Uh, I, I remember growing up in the Baptist church and every single service, Praise God from whom all blessings flow. That was a doxology, amen? That uh, was a doxology. It, it's a song of praise. It's us singing to God that we are grateful for Him. Paul gives this incredible doxology of praise for this glorious gospel. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for sending Jesus into this world that because of his death on the cross, his sacrifice in our place, his resurrection three days later, we can have eternal life. And Lord, without that, we would still be lost and dead in our trespasses and sins, destined for an eternity apart from you. But because of it, our sins have been forgiven, the penalty of it taken upon Jesus himself. And because of that, we also praise the glory of the gospel tonight. So bless us as we study. We ask these things in the wonderful name of our Savior Jesus. Amen. Verse 25 here in Romans 16. And now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. Paul opens up this doxology by making it very clear that the song of praise is about the one and only Savior. And while we think on who Jesus is for a moment, remember that The Bible is really his story. So when you think of history, the Bible is his story. It's Christ's story. And in fact, the first prophecy of Jesus is found in Genesis chapter 3, isn't it? This this seed of the woman. 
And so his story begins in Genesis. This gospel message, this truth that men can be saved. I don't know where you were, and I don't know what you were doing when the light finally went on for you for the good news of the gospel. I remember exactly where I was. I remember thinking to myself, I am lost. I I am dead. If I were to take my last breath, I I would perish eternally. And this great message preached by this evangelist named Mel Dibble, this this message that strikes the heart of a 13-year-old that caused me to understand that Jesus loved me. That he came to this earth to die for me. I couldn't wait. I could not wait to go forward and surrender my life to Jesus. It was as if someone lifted me up out of that pew. I was only sitting about four rows from the front, so I didn't have very far to go. I just knew that this glorious message had reached my heart. Paul praises that at the end of this incredible book that we've been studying now for a little over a year. Remind you that if you've missed any messages, they're available on our website, online. You can go, you can watch the the videos, you can download the PowerPoint notes, you can have all those things. They're free, they're at your disposal. Make good use of them. According to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began. You see, that which was concealed, as D.L. Moody said in the Old Testament, is revealed in the New. The, The gospel was visible in the Old Testament, and in fact, the Old Testament were the only scriptures that the Jewish people had. And when Jesus referred to the scriptures, when he was speaking in the New Testament before his death and his burial and resurrection, when he said, you search the scriptures... He was talking about the Old Testament. You see, the Old Testament contains the gospel. It contains all of the elements necessary for one to believe by faith. But it does not present the Lord Jesus himself specifically. But the gospel's there. The coming one is there. The Messiah is there. Windows into his character, his nature, his birthplace, what would happen to him, where he would go, and what he would do, mysteriously in the Old Testament. So as the Apostle Paul reminds us of the glory of the gospel, God didn't just all of a sudden turn on the gospel faucet. The gospel faucet had been running since the garden. Adam and Eve got a glimpse of the gospel, did they not? Because in their sin, God's response was not, I'm done with you, see you later. God's response was, I'm going to slaughter an animal, and I'm going to shed innocent blood, and I'm going to redeem you back to myself. That's in the garden. That's not found in the gospel, that's found in Genesis. You you see, so the gospel faucet, this incredible good news that God loves us and He is crying out for us to love Him back is the story of the entire Bible. 
And so Paul ends with this secret that's been kept, this mystery that's been kept since the world began. But now made manifest, and by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations. You see, sometimes people ask me, well, why do we even bother with the Old Testament? I get that question. Why do we bother? Why do we worry about the whole counsel of God? Because it adds a depth of beauty and wonder of God's care and concern for humankind that takes us back to the very beginnings of man's sojourn on this earth. When you understand the Old Testament, it actually makes the New Testament all the more beautiful. It causes us to realize that God has always been just and God has always been fair. God has never been hateful and spiteful and mean as some claim. And while there are things in the Old Testament that it is tough for us to wrap our minds around, the net result of those things is God was redeeming man back to himself during the times of the kings of Israel. Jesus was being preached to Adam and Eve. Abraham and Isaac were a picture of Christ who would come. The whole thing's been about Jesus. And so the prophetic word that's being spoken of is all the things that the prophet said. You think of the marvelous Psalms of David and how he prophetically spoke that the grave could not hold him. That it was actually David who a thousand years before Jesus hung on the cross said, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. Except he said it in Hebrew instead of Greek, Aramaic. You see, the whole of man's history is the glory of the gospel from God's perspective. He's always had the plan to save us. is isn't new. Yes, it was to the Jew first and then the Gentile, but it was to the Jew first, supposedly directly to the Gentile. No lag time, no difference. Saving faith would be necessary for both. Made known to all nations. And it's important that you understand and remember again who writes this letter. This is a Hebrew of Hebrews. This is the great Apostle Paul, a child of the king, an Israelite in whom there is no guile. And so for him to write at this stage in his life, he's in Rome, he'll eventually die there, but to say that the gospel's gone forth to all nations, the prophetic scriptures were to all nations, that this word that was hidden in the Old Testament, made manifest in the New, was to all nations, was to acknowledge that God sees Jews and God sees Gentiles both in light of the one gospel. That's why Jesus could say there is just one way and one truth and one life. And no one comes to the Father but by Him. And He said me. It wasn't through the Old Testament sacrificial system. When you get to heaven and you get to meet Noah, imagine that. Think about it. When you get to heaven, you're going to meet Noah. Noah will have got there by faith 
believing that Christ would come. And then when he was delivered up, when Jesus died and paid the price and made it all final, when he got to heaven, it was because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. He waited in faith for that to be a reality, but it was visible to him, so he believed. The same thing for Abraham, the same thing for Isaac, the same thing for Rahab. Great King David. Can you imagine what King David thought? When here comes Jesus after his death and he sets captivity free. When he releases those who are waiting by faith, who'd been there for 1,500 years in paradise in Sheol, he says, it's time to go home. Heaven waits. Can you imagine? That's how good God is. Don't give up. Don't surrender. That's the glory of the Gospel. Your hard-hearted family can be reached by the glory of the Gospel. Your wayward children can be reached by the glory of the Gospel. That person whom you don't even like can be reached by the glory of the Gospel. Because as Paul's already said in this amazing book, it is the gospel of God that is the power and the salvation to them who believe. According to the commandment of the everlasting God, and I want you to note that, the commandment of the everlasting God is that there is a gospel, and that gospel does save. And that's been his plan all along. God's never been willing that any should perish. He has always desired that all should come to repentance. There's never been a time since he formed Adam that God thought in his heart or his mind, you know what, I'm just really sick of humans. It's always been his answer. That's why the gospel is so glorious. It's the only thing that bridges the two testaments. You think about it for a second. What else could God have done but make the one thing necessary for anyone to have a right relationship with Him? Faith. If it had been anything else but believing, then I would say to you the Old Testament saints could not have been saved. They would have all perished. Because you certainly couldn't have been saved by the law. The law did a great job of pointing out the fact that you were guilty. But whether you know this or not, the law doesn't actually provide an eternal remedy. There's no remedy in the law. The law doesn't make you right with God. It only atones on the day of atonement for a period of time that was your past. It does nothing for the next day. Think about it for a second. So the whole sacrificial system of the Jews builds up for an entire year to the Day of Atonement. And finally the high priest makes that atoning prayer for himself and his family and then for all of the children of Israel and for about two nanoseconds 
The length of time it takes someone to sin after he says, Amen. For that period of time, they would have been squared away with God, not because they were forgiven, but they were covered. You see, there was never any remedy in the law. All it could ever do was say, yep, Jeff's guilty. But the gospel, the gospel saves. The blood of Christ cleanses from all unrighteousness, providing forgiveness for my sin. Not just hiding it, not just atoning for it and covering it, but literally making it as if it had never happened even though it did. Amen? Because standing before you is still a guilty sinner. Get your theology correct. You are all still guilty sinners. But you're forgiven guilty sinners. Hallelujah. Amen. You see, sometimes we think we've arrived and somehow, you know, we're just, okay, now we're good. The only reason you're good is because Jesus died in your place. Taking care of your past sins, your present sins, and gloriously your future sins. That's why the gospel is worthy of praise. For the obedience to the faith. Think about that for a second. Not obedience to the law, not obedience to religion, not obedience to Bible study. And by the way, any and all of those things can be good. Not obedience to another person, not obedience to a priest, not obedience to a pastor, not obedience to your parents. And again, all of those things can be good. But obedience to the faith. For without faith, it is impossible to please God. Faith is the one thing because it's a gift that everyone can exercise. If you don't have enough faith tonight to believe, God is capable of giving you the faith so that you can believe, and that's what He will do if you will ask. So faith is available to anyone and everyone, and always has, has been. That's, again, why the gospel is so worthy of praise. You probably all know people that if they had to link together more than a dozen words, they would somehow mess that up. Amen? If there was a certain formula one had to follow in order to be saved, a certain prayer that needed to be mentioned, and if we wrote it down in Scripture accurately in every language that was ever known on the face of the earth, and said, if you just say this prayer, you'll be saved, I guarantee you there would still be people who would not be saved. Those who were dyslexic automatically into outer darkness. What about those who can't read? 
What about the deaf? What about the blind? You ever think about it? You see, a simple 12-word prayer, you would think we could get that right. But even a simple 12-word prayer would exclude some people from ever being able to be saved. Those whose minds can't function that way. So God makes the one thing that's essential, faith, a free gift. Amen? Is the gospel glorious? Oh, you better believe it is. To God. And now you see why the Apostle Paul ends this way. It doesn't say who is alone wise. It actually says in the original language a statement alone wise. There's not even another who. Nobody should be in the sentence with him. It shouldn't be equated that anyone else could be, so there's no other option given. Do you see it? You see, if you put who in front of that, then you might think maybe there's someone else who could be. But to make it clear, God says, alone-wise, through the Apostle Paul. Oh, the Gospel's wise. That free gift of eternal life is so wise. And that's why it ends, be the glory. And look really careful at how this ends. Through Jesus Christ forever. There wasn't another gospel that God had when He was a little bit wiser in Old Testament times. There won't be another gospel that will come along later because mankind has evolved. There's not going to be an abbreviated gospel that's less than faith, like just being human. And there won't be an expanded gospel because we are so much smarter today than we used to be. Alone-wise... That gospel is simply Jesus Christ. God who is salvation, Messiah, anointed one. Forever. Next week, guess what? The same gospel is going to be good. For Adam and Eve, the same gospel ultimately proved itself to be absolutely the only way. Old Testament saints, New Testament saints, saints that are alive today, and those who will be born tomorrow, the alone wise God, the one and only, makes Jesus forever the answer. Now, does it make sense to you why Jesus will, in John 14, 6, say, I am the way? I am the truth. I am the life. And there isn't any other way to heaven. That's why Peter, in Acts 4, echoes exactly the same thing. 
there is no other name under heaven whereby men must be saved. He's the only way. No wonder he's praising the good news of the gospel. And man, the psalmist of all of Scripture, it seems as though the psalmist, and a great majority of the psalms were written by, by David, but the psalmist in general, whether it be Asaph or the handful of psalms by Solomon, but the psalmist understood that God was worthy of praise, and so when you break the psalms down into their, their functional parts, there's really five books within psalms, and every last one of those five books ends with a doxology. The very same thing that we see here. They're just praising God for who He is and what He does. The second book, praise His glorious name forever, for the whole earth is filled with His glory. You you see, we need to have that kind of attitude. You know, sometimes Christians are almost ashamed of the gospel. They're almost ashamed of the gospel. And yet the Apostle Paul said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. But it's almost like we're ashamed, like it's too easy. Or we don't want to mess with anybody. So we don't want them to think that their way isn't the way. Oh, family of God. So praiseworthy is the gospel that it is the only way. And we should be so thankful for it. Because if there's another way, Jesus is a liar and there's no way at all. You see, that's the gospel. That's why we praise the gospel. That's why Paul is praising the gospel. And by the way, the power of praise, when we stop and say, thank you, Lord. You see, because that's what praise really is. It's thanks be to God. The whole Bible is filled with it, but when you look at the New Testament, it's just all of these things. And we could just, we could have put up a hundred of them and we would have still fallen way short. But whether it's the Gospels all the way to the book of Revelation, we're constantly seeing the authors of the New Testament praising God. Luke praises God. Jesus comes into Jerusalem. No wonder the multitude of heavenly hosts were praising God. No wonder that praise happened. Why? Because everything that had been spoken of in the Old Testament was about to become a reality. That's what this passage says. Those concealed things, that mystery in the Old Testament was about to become a reality as Jesus rode in. Zechariah 9 was being fulfilled on the spot. Here comes Jesus on the foal of a donkey. Would you have predicted that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords would have come to Jerusalem on the foal of a donkey? Not on a donkey, on the foal of a donkey. A mini donkey. A donkey-et. A not-yet-broken one. Any of you ever have any equestrian experience? You ever tried to get on an unbroken animal of any kind? You're asking to see dirt. 
whole bunch of times. You're going to be picking it out of your teeth and your nose and your hair. And here comes Jesus, commanding his own creation. No wonder the angels were praising. In the midst of this letter, Paul's already given us several doxologies, but there he's praising God for what's going to ultimately happen to the children of Israel. That one day all Israel will be saved. Can you imagine the praise in his mind? Because he already declared, I wish that I myself were cut off that you might be saved. No wonder he's praising the gospel. Because Paul knew that the gospel would reach the Jews as well. That in fact, the first century church was predominantly Jewish. And it would just go on indefinitely. The church at Ephesus, the book of the Hebrews, that now the God of peace who brought you up from death, given you an eternal covenant, he writes to the Hebrews, in the sight of these things, through Christ Jesus our Lord. Just praising the gospel. We need to have the praise of the gospel on our lips. Because it's able to save anyone and everyone. The end of the book of Revelation, when you get to chapter 19, you know there's a lot of bad stuff that happens in the book of Revelation, Amen? You know, you, you do not read the book of Revelation before you go to bed, unless you like nightmares. <laughs> Chapter 6 to 19 is pretty gruesome, isn't it? That's so much God hates sin, by the way. Praise God that hasn't happened yet. But at the end of the book is this incredible doxology. Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God because of the judgments that are His that are true and righteous and they praise the Lamb. That's the glory of the Gospel. The last words of the last book. The first words of the first book. In the beginning, God. That's the glory of it. There's three things I want to leave you with. As we praise God, the gospel actually establishes us. As we say, Lord, I am indebted to you. I am willingly giving you my life. And I'm asking you to establish me. You, you see this Greek word that's used here means to make able, to make stand, to, to stabilize, ultimately to give you a certainty of hope. Man, anybody need a certainty of hope in an uncertain world? Oh, hallelujah, I do. My certainty of hope is in the gospel of Jesus Christ that no matter what happens to me on this earth, one day I'm going home to be with Jesus. That establishes us. 
It makes us rock solid in a very messed up world. Sometimes, you know, I I look at the world and and it, it makes me just cry. I just weep. I go, God, look at this mess. And it reminds me, Jeff, that's why I've called you here is to preach the gospel so people can be saved from this mess. I say, thank you, Lord. Pastor Rob and I were talking in the hallway. We get to do this. I have the privilege of preaching the gospel, that God would use a human instrument to establish people in the faith so that they can have that certainty of hope. There's no greater thing to do on this entire earth. The movie of the founding of Calvary Chapel, we're actually watching it with the staff. We watched half of it. It's called Venture in Faith. It's going to be available on our website. You can watch it. I encourage you to watch it. But you see, as you, as you think about all the things that we could be doing, that we get the opportunity to preach the gospel, to establish people, to give them hope. For us as Calvary Chapel, it began with hippies, people like me who used to have hair. disenfranchised came out of that Vietnam War era to where it seemed like nothing in the world was right if you went you were a baby killer if you didn't go you hated America if you protested you ended up getting shot on a college campus if you didn't protest someone else would it was awful So you know what most of us did? We tuned out. We don't want any part of it. Can I tell you the world's having another go around of that? People are tuning out. They're so sick to death of all the fighting and bickering and haggling and mean-spirited, angry speech. People can't even have a decent conversation with each other. It's not much different. It just painted a little different. That's the answer. That's the answer. Being established. Without Him, I wouldn't have any purpose. I think most of us that walk with the Lord for any period of time, we would say we wouldn't have any true purpose. Not true purpose. Not true meaning. Certainly no true satisfaction. Your pastor was a millionaire before he was 30 years old. On paper. Living all the crazy things that America was about. But there was no hope in it. There was no satisfaction in it. It did not deliver what it promised.
you see what established Connie and I was the gospel. And that nudging, Jeff, I got a plan for your life and this isn't it, was the gospel being lived out. You see, what the world experiences is the, the sin that is pleasurable for a season, but the end of it is death. The gospel is the answer that establishes you beyond the temporal. That's why the writer of Hebrews says, our anchor of hope that is in heaven. The anchor of my hope is not here. I have zero hope that tonight somehow they're going to balance the federal budget. Zero. I have none. I wish they would. wish they'd do something. But my hope isn't in Washington, D.C. It's not in Congress. My hope is not in our judicial system. Those nine Supreme Court justices. My hope is not in them. My hope is not in the White House. My hope is not in our State House. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ and His righteousness. That's the certainty of hope. That's my certainty. That's what the Bible presents clearly. Paul establishes that. And you know what? In Jesus, you're not ever going to be disappointed. Why? Because the true gospel is simple and it proclaims exactly one thing and that's Jesus Christ. You see, everything else is subsequent. Your transformed mind, your transformed life, the switch in your behavior, all of those things come as an outflow of the work of the gospel. But Jesus Christ is a free gift of God. His Son offered up on Calvary's cross for me. It's not something I could ever earn. It's not something I deserve. That's why it's called grace. And that's why I receive mercy. Oh, and thank you, Lord God, that I am going to receive and am receiving His mercy. Because you know what? I deserve a beatdown. God has every right and reason to take me to His holy woodshed and burn up a few belts. Anybody else in that club? But praise God we're not getting that. Why? Because the gospel proclaims Jesus Christ, the remedy for all of that sin. He is my divine remedy. You see, I couldn't come up with the remedy myself. It's an impossibility. That's why Scripture says, by the blood of bulls and goats is no one justified. That's why it says that. You could kill off every last animal on the planet and you're still going to come up short. 
That's what was so deathly disturbing about the temple. Josephus, the Jewish historian of Roman descent, as he wrote about the temple sacrifices in the first century, he said the death toll was so high in the temple compound that the blood flowed over the walls. Upon this roof, there are what are called scupper drains. Those drains allow all the water that collects on this roof to pour off the front walls. There were scuppers on the Temple Mount that allowed the blood that was so saturated in the dirt to eventually make it off the walls. That's a lot of death. That's a lot of innocent animals. And yet, it didn't accomplish the salvation of a single soul. All it did was told them exactly how far off they were. It left them in need of one thing. Jesus. By faith. So the grace could be placed upon us. Have you ever thought about the unmerited favor of God? I started to write one time and I was, I was just thinking, you know what, I'm going to try and describe this. I eventually gave up. God's grace is so beyond my understanding. His unmerited favor that the creator of the universe, the king of heaven, the lord of heaven and earth would love me enough to send his own son to die in my place. And not just die in my place, but be murdered beaten beyond recognition and nailed to Calvary's cross. His garments bartered for. You see, there's some things that happen to you as a parent. It's one thing when your kids get in trouble and it's their own doing. Amen? If you got kids, say Amen. They get in trouble, it's their own doing. It's kind of like, you are dumb as a tack. And you can almost with your own children go, you know what, you deserve that. But when they don't deserve it, what happens to your blood when they get something that they don't deserve from somebody that you don't like? Oh, it's on now. Y'all are going to get a beat down. You see, that's what parents do, right? Now imagine that your son, your daughter, is perfect. And the people you send them to not only don't like him, her, they hate him. And on top of that, they vilely mistreat him and then put him to death. What would you do if you were God? Oh boy. You need to be really thankful Pastor Jeff's not God. Because none of y'all make it to heaven. And I, and I say that because I'm being honest. As a man, The gospel proclaims Jesus Christ as the only remedy to my sin.
Hallelujah. Because I wouldn't have done it. Couldn't have done it. Can't describe it. The first three chapters of this amazing book, remember how they begin? Describing exactly how far mankind is from God? So much so that professing themselves to be wise, they became fools? And the end of chapter 1, maybe one of the most piercing verses in the entire Bible with regard to sin, says that they not only practice such things, but they approve of people who do as well. Does it tell you how far away we are from God at times? And yet what does God do? He still sends His own Son to die in your place. The true gospel proclaims Jesus Christ. God's remedy for me and you. There's no other name. As we dig into 1 Corinthians, the whole beginning chapter kind of picks up this theme that Jesus... That's why... Paul will say when he gets to 2 Corinthians, we do not preach ourselves. We don't preach our brand of Christianity. We don't preach Calvary Chapel, you might say. We don't don't preach, well, you need to really go listen to Pastor Jeff. We, We don't preach a style of ministry. We preach Christ. That's it. Now I'm grateful for all the associations I have. And I can't think of anywhere I'd rather be than here. But let's make it clear. There's one Savior and His name is Jesus. You see, when you think about the list of things that we've received because of Jesus, oh my. I really encourage you, go back and and restudy this amazing book and just underline the things that you have received because you committed your life to the one and only Jesus. Think about it. Justified as a gift by grace through the redemption of His blood. You think that's a pretty big deal? That's a big deal. We have been reckoned so much so that we'll be raised from the dead one day. It's no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives in me. I have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Think on those things. I've been released. Chapter 7, remember it. I've been released from the penalty of the law. There is therefore no zero, zip, nada, null set, void condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Not a bit. Not an ounce. Not a smidgen. There won't be any. Satan's going to go accusing and Jesus is going to say, I got it. The one and only Jesus did that for you. The one and only Jesus did that for me. Have you ever thought about what goes on for us, me, you, 
to be led by the Spirit of the living God. That the Holy Spirit of God has been implanted in you because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In other words, you got an upgrade on your GPS. You remember those, those days when you used to have to get a new disc? If you had one of the first GPSs in a car, you had to stick the map disc in there and upgrade it every once in a while. There were like 300 bucks to get a new... Otherwise, freeways that didn't exist all of a sudden showed up on your screen. There's actually a new company, you can read about it in this month's National Geographic, called Planet. We're based here in California. And believe it or not, the U.S. government no longer has the most satellites in orbit over the earth. This company does. They have so much technology packed into them photographically that in a 24-hour period of time, they can photograph the entire earth's surface down to a resolution of 10 feet. Big brother be watching. But that's nothing compared to Jesus. Because He can take you from hell to heaven. He can get you where you need to go. He can lead and guide you through the worst of times. Old planet satellite might go down. You might be in the midst of a, of a journey. I grew up in a day at time, map and compass. Man, we could get anywhere in the world with a map and compass. You know, now everybody's, they're on their smartphone. And I kind of laugh. Because I still like maps. Because you know what you can see on a map you can't see on a cell phone? The whole rest of the state. So that one turn that you're going to make because Siri says so, in a hundred feet, turn left. <laughs> you find out that ain't no street you're supposed to go down because it goes into the river channel. But it was good last week. God will never send you down the wrong road, He won't ever make a mistake. Because of Christ in you, your hope of glory. You have the Holy Spirit guiding you now. And finally, God revealed this whole mystery. The gospel reveals the whole mystery. The mystery of God is beyond our understanding. That the answer for the children of Israel wandering in the wilderness of sin, in the desert of Sinai. The answer for them is the answer for me. Faith. It wasn't works. It wasn't in the tabernacle. It wasn't lugging around. Think about it for a second. They lugged around this portable tent of meeting called the tabernacle. Everywhere they went, they would set it up. And it had to be the right direction. The children of Israel fanned out around the four ordinal points of the compass. North, south, east, and west. Three tribes each direction. And in all of that order, 
they still managed to find chaos. The answer was faith. And you know how we know that? Because the Bible reminds us that they messed up. So much so that their command was, forget all that. I want you to put a bronze serpent on a pole and put it in the middle of the encampment of the children of Israel and anyone who will look at it will live. That's faith. That's mystery. It doesn't matter whether you're talking about Ezekiel or Jeremiah or Isaiah. God's always had one mediator. That's the man, Christ Jesus. God's always had one way, Christ Jesus. There's always only been one truth. That's the coming one, Messiah, Christ Jesus, our Lord. There's only one picture in the Old Testament that points to the Jesus that we find in the New. That's why the prophet Hosea, I love the book of Hosea, because it's so mysterious. The prophet Hosea, writing in a, in a time when the children of Israel are an absolute mess. They are doing everything wrong. He says, I, I, God tells us, I want you to marry a prostitute. You've got to know that Hosea is going, say what? but he trusts God. And it was to Hosea, I will call those who are not my people, my people, and who, who was not beloved, my beloved. That's why Jesus would say, whoever believes in me, oh, you'll die, but you'll not perish. You see, because left up to me, I'm not going to be one of God's people. Left up to me, I'm going to go the wrong way, not the right way. That's the glory of the gospel. That's why it's divine. So when somebody says, hey, could you just leave the gospel out of this, you tell them not on your life. You tell them the gospel saved you. That you lived for the gospel. That my life is a testimony to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That without the gospel, I would still be dead in my trespasses and sins. And I am indebted to the gospel. That which was a mystery to Hosea and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel and David, Zechariah, those men who trusted God, that which was a mystery to them has been revealed to us in Christ Jesus our Lord. So tonight, we praise the gospel. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. And thank you, Jesus, for the glory of the gospel. Amen. Let's stand and we'll pray together. And I would be horribly remiss if I didn't offer tonight if there's anyone here 
and you heard the gospel message and you want to respond to that gospel, it's real simple. All you need to do is ask and he'll save. So let's bow our heads. and If that's you tonight and you don't know Jesus, you came in tonight, you, you could say, I, I didn't know this Jesus you're talking about, Pastor Jeff, but you want to know him tonight because you want to be saved. I want you to just slip your hand up right where you're at. I want to pray with you. Is there anyone at all? Anyone anywhere throughout the sanctuary? I see that hand. Praise the Lord. I see that other hand. I see that other hand. Anyone else? Jesus loves you. And he came to die in your place. I see that hand in the back. Anyone else? Just lift your hand up. Don't be afraid. Don't be ashamed. The Lord of heaven came to earth so that you could be saved. Don't miss the opportunity to commit him. Commit your life to him tonight. Anyone else? Oh, praise God. Praise the Lord. See those hands as well. Thank you, Jesus, for the work of your spirit drawing men unto yourself right now in this place. For those that have raised your hands, put your hands down. Now here's the tough part. Pastor Jeff cannot pray this prayer for you. You need to pray from your own heart and believe the words that you're about to pray. Pray them out loud. Because scripture says, if you will confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father who is in heaven. So would you pray with me out loud? Believers, pray for those that are about to pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, confess that I am a sinner and I desperately need a Savior. I realize I can't save myself. And I'm asking you to forgive my sin and cleanse me from my unrighteousness. I thank you for dying for me on Calvary's cross. And I believe you paid the price for all of my sin, past, present, and future. I'm offering my life to you. I promise to live with your purposes in mind. Help me to walk with you all of my days. Please put my name in that glorious book of life in heaven. Thank you for your gift of salvation that is so rich and so free. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.